Welcome to All Things Terror. I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And this is a podcast of research stories from science, history, true crime that will keep you up at night because they keep us up at night. So, Emily. Jennifer. Welcome to season three. Season three! It's very exciting. It's season three and our year anniversary. You are listening to this on Halloween, unless you are not listening the day we drop, which is just hurtful. Um, But yeah, it's our year anniversary of our very first episode going live and our third season, which is super exciting. Emily is obviously the passive-aggressive one between the two of us. What? What? No, I am legitimately very excited about this. No, you're like, well, you're listening to this on our one-year anniversary, unless you're not. That's okay. It just hurts my feelings. Oh, yeah, I'm Irish. That's that's not even... That's, like, Bush League passive aggression from the Irish. Like, you don't even want to see the heavy implications and the underlying guilt that we... Like, I feel guilty for things my ancestors did, and I don't even know their names. I mean, that's just... Yeah. Come on now. I Catch mean, are you, are you, are you emotional eating right you now? Um, nope. I'm just sipping on some beer. That the fruit flies in my house are trying hard to get, but I won't let them. Also, if you listen to our little preview, I have not had fruit flies in my house for a month. Hopefully, who knows? You're listening to this in the future. We're recording them on the same weekend. Um, hopefully, by the time you listen to this, all the fruit flies are gone, and I have not just turned into a giant writhing mass of fruit flies. But who knows? Or... On the other hand, hopefully all the fruit flies aren't gone. I don't remember the name of this movie. It, It's like I forget about it for a long time, and then I remember it once, and then it goes away. I think it's called... Why the- would you curse me with more fruit flies? Well, listen, this is what I'm going to get at. I think it's called The Willies, actually. But it's like, it's like much in the vein of like Creepshow, where there's... Um, like, three or four stories. It's in that time period where, like, everyone was doing the mini horror stories for one, like, Cat's Eye and Creepshow and all the rest of them. So I think it's called the Willies. And there's, like, this weird kid who collects flies, and then he, like, in this weird... It's almost like... I hate to say it, but it's almost like torture porn. Like, they show, like, the... Um, in detail how he, like... They're still the flies are still alive and like they'll he will yank their wings out and like place them in these miniatures of like he, real human life. So like on one of them they're like a bunch of flies hanging out in a diner, and um, he keeps for some reason he keeps stealing stuff from this farmer. But this farmer had this ridiculous uh, super powered fertilizer, and the kid ended up stealing that fertilizer and somehow it ended up creating these massive flies and the flies took the kid and ripped his arms off and like placed him in his it was weird okay i googled this while you were talking and it definitely is giving me an are you afraid of the dark vibe which i love uh my ex and i several times got high and watched that and let me tell you those things hold up 
We watch them sober, too. Uh, they are so much fun. There's some but really uncomfortable episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? They're, they are, like, legitimately well-crafted stories. And, like, I know that they're for kids and they're a little kitschy, but they're well done. Like, I'm not being sarcastic at all when I say they hold up. Um, I, listen, if we ever get famous and start making money, I would love to somehow do like an are you afraid of the dark meetup and we watch it and that would be the best um i'm but also this this movie that you are describing has a bonkers cast it has sean astin which is sam uh kirk cameron and doug benson in it it is it is a weird movie and i'm not gonna lie like some of those mini stories, like that one really stuck in my head, but there's another one that actually created a fear that was already developing in me as a child. Like I've always had like, no one's going to be shocked by this. I've, I've, I have a weird thing about public restrooms. <laughs> Nobody's going to be shocked by this. And <laughs> it's true. And um, even as a child, I was always very uncomfortable going into public restrooms. And keep in mind, I spent a great deal of my childhood on the road, so public restrooms was, like, an inevitability for me. So, in that movie, there's a kid who is being bullied, and the bullies, like, follow him into a bathroom one day, and they're gonna, like, beat him up. But this monster comes down from, like, the, like, um, what are those called? Like, the ventilation system or something in the school's bathroom and then kills both the bullies. And, like, that scene has haunted me forever. So every time I'd be in a public restroom, I wasn't looking for, like, the things you should be afraid of. I was looking up, waiting (laughs) for the monster to come down from the ceiling. Okay, one, uh, this seems to imply that you were a bully because... Isn't that scene supposed to be like, yeah, monsters are going to get you, assholes? And two, yeah, you weren't looking for, like, the pedophile or the, like, staph infection germ or whatever. <laughs> you are looking for the monster coming out of the air duct. I was definitely not a bully. I was just a child who didn't understand a very complicated idea in a movie. Yeah. But also believed in monsters, so there you go. Yeah. Now, this might be the time of the podcast where you would expect Jennifer or I to say, do you have a story for me? But the fact is, it's season three. We're off the chain. We're getting wild. And we're going to do a story together. And it's going to be a two-parter. So we both have a story that terrifies the shit out of both of us. And you can tell that Emily's totally still not sore about the whole Great Fire thing. <laughs> I will never get over it. Uh, I am did. wounded, but it is also hilarious. Uh, and there's one that I... there's Listen, there's a topic that's been on my list that I'm like... Oh, that's big. I'll never do it. And now I'm like, I got to do it fast before Jennifer does. <laughs> it's okay, though, because we are doing a joint episode. And we who are. knows and what future holds in the joint episodingness of our true. podcast. 
And it's not like the world is getting less terrifying. Nope, it's always fucked up, so there you go. Yep. So, um, Jennifer, you and I are talking in this week and the next about uh, the Dyatlov Pass incident, which I mentioned as being, if I could know the secret of anything, any mystery, this would be at the top of my list. Um, It is something that if you have heard of this, you are probably weirdly into it. Um, The first place I heard it from was this podcast called Astonishing Legends, which is, they did a two-parter, I think, Um, and it's, it's the first time I heard about it, and I cannot count the number of times that my jaw just dropped, but, um, one of their hosts calls it, uh, I think it's Scott Philbrook calls it, um, quote, Russia's JFK assassination. Like, it's just, it's a really weird mystery, and people are really into it, and, um, yeah, it's just... I don't know how to be casually interested in this story. Well, you have to be wearing your Ugg boots. <laughs> probably with a pair of tights, holding a pumpkin latte, and an oversized sweater. That's my guess. Well, I will say that ideally, if you are not listening to this on the day that it dropped, one, rude. But two... Maybe you're in a cabin, maybe you're in your house, and it's snowing really hard because that would really set the tale, or set the scene for this tale. Well, and also, um, the time period that this took place is very significant. Yeah, so, um, I like this for a lot of reasons, and not least of which is that it's very Soviet kitsch. And I love Soviet Kish so much, which is not going to surprise anybody at all. Um, but yeah, so it's it's 1959 in um, the USSR, Soviet Russia. Um, and can you tell everybody what's going on in 1959? So 1959 is uh, Nikita Khrushchev. He's the head of the Soviet Union. Um, it's not quite the glasnost um which is when soviet russia starts to really open its borders and you sort of have this um loosening of hostilities it's not that yet um president of the u.s in 1959 is dwight d eisenhower so we're still very much in like post-war height of the cold war era the USSR is very closed. We're probably still disappearing people at this point. Um, so, yeah, really all of, like, the kitschy 1950s in Soviet Russia, car runs over you memes. That's what's happening. Um, a terrible time, to be, tr- like, honest, but just the kitsch from it is... My absolute favorite. Um, On a side note, when I was in Prague, the Czech Republic, which was behind the Iron Curtain, um, and they had a Velvet Revolution, they were never very happy about being part of the USSR. But um, I went to the the Museum of Communism, and it was very like, yeah, it pretty much sucked. 
but I got these this coaster set that's like all these like 1950s pictures from Soviet Russia, like legitimate like ads and stuff of these like smiling people. And then they have these like sassy little sayings on them. Like one of them says it's all these pictures of these women. It's the one I'm using right now, like 1950s looking girls all smiling. And it's like the it says like their sisters in the West, they would have burned their bras if there were any in the shops. <laughs> and then, oh, my gosh. Let me pull some more of these out. I love them. I don't know why I don't have them memorized. Sometimes there was no toilet paper in the shops. Luckily, there was not much food either. <laughs> There's one that's like, uh, it was a time of shiny, happy people, especially those that worked in the uranium mines. <laughs> so, um, thinking about this, and we're just going to roll back a little bit, um, so Eisenhower is actually a very important president to talk about for this uh, because of his politics at the time. Um, in general, he was what you would call a conservative progressive. So he continued a lot of the programs that were handed down through the New Deal um, champion social security, but what was, do you remember what his foreign policies were? No. So his foreign policy was interesting, so to speak, for, at this time, uh, a conservative. And remember, um, you know, this is all before we have the whole Ronald Reagan situation. <laughs> Also, feel free for me to say, fucking Ronald Reagan, I hate him so much. Fucking ruin this country, cockhole. Yes, Ronald Reagan was terrible. But Eisenhower gave this really famous speech called Chance for Peace. Um, he was trying to, you know, convince the Soviet Union not to be in a nuclear arms race. Uh, it didn't really work. But uh, mostly, I feel like, I think a, a lot of people know him as an is isolationist, which doesn't help when you have the Cold World, Cold World uh, War. Gosh, I cannot say that, so let's cut that out. When you have the Cold World escalating under his presidency. Yeah. Well, and I think, too... The longer I'm alive, the more I think um, when the Cold War is taught in American schools, I feel like I learned about it as the arms race and the 80s and like communism was bad, but they didn't know about capitalism and, you know, Russia controlled everybody. And it's true that Russia is kind of controlling people, but... It's weird to me how much they demonize communism without talking about the way that the ideological system of communism broke down pretty quickly and it became totalitarian regimes that did horrible atrocities. And like the disappearing people and the Holodomor and 
the sort of like suppression of the press was a lot of really terrible things. Um, well, and that's the thing too, is like any, that's the other thing is like any system of government that also coincides with a capitalist economic system has the ability to go totalitarian, has the ability to go so far right, it becomes fascist. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is neither here nor there. But so 1959 is we have we are going to be in the USSR. We're talking about the USSR. Um, and it is very, uh, very much sort of that. Yay, the USSR, like pro communism. We're not quite to the glasnost, and I keep talking about that as this like softening of of this hard, uh, hard controlled communism, um, and that's going to be happening, you know, in the eighties. Um, but we are talking about people who are are young. Um, we're talking about college students in their early twenties in nineteen fifty nine. Um, so these would be people who. Um, probably did hear like smuggled in rock music and you know uh, would have wanted a glasnost I don't know maybe I think they were I think they were proud Soviets but I think that they would have come of age at the same time that the USSR would in an interesting way anyway so we're setting the scene for you what's going on is we have a group of nine students um who are from the Ural Mountains. Where's my little chuk chuk chuk? Um, I tried to take very good notes. Um, they're from a polytechnic institute. They're in college together. It's the Ural Polytechnical Institute. It's now, it still exists. It's called the Ural Federal University, um, if that means anything to you. And what these... Uh, guys and gals are doing is they're trying to get a grade three or class three certification, um, which is the highest certification that you can get in the country at the time for hiking. Um, and the only thing that I can like analog this to is like if you've been right white water rafting and you go down a certain class of rapids and if you are a guide and you are comfortable like steering a raft through class three rapids or something it seems like something like that but very intense um so these college students are very experienced they're very smart and they're going to do this um, I heard, so I listened to a couple podcasts and I read a book, uh, and I did some other research, um, and all of them note this certification. One of them calls it practice. Um, one says that this was the actual qualification. So I'm not sure if this was like the hike to see if they get the certification or if it was like a dry run. I'm kind of inclined to say it was the latter. The mic, the hike has to be 186 miles. The trip has to be at least 16 days. Eight of those days have to be in uninhabited lands. So, you know, nobody around. Um, and da, 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 at least half of it has to, or a third to a half of it has to be in dangerous terrain. Dangerous or challenging. So these are sort of what they're setting up. Um, 
they leave on January 27th, so they're going to be hiking and also skiing, uh, which is important to think about. You're in basically the edge of Siberia, so it's going to be a lot of skiing. A lot, a lot, a lot, because there's snow. You, you with me? You with me so far? We have snow. They're walking and they're skiing. They yep. are using forward leg motions, but then they're also doing pizza french fries. Yep. So what I'm going to do, I have like kind of a breakdown of this, like chronologically what happened. Um, but I also have some pretty good descriptions. Um, and I will say right now that interestingly, as much as this is kind of a big deal, um, most of the things I saw, even Snopes cites this book called Dead Mountain. Uh, and I checked it out from the library and I read it. Um, but interestingly, it all kind of traces back to this. Like, uh, as much as it's kind of a big deal, this there's not like a proliferation of books about this. Like, if you go look up like JFK biographies or whatever, or books about Lincoln, there's going to be a thousand things. Um, they all sort of cite this book called Dead Mountain, which is just an interesting aside. Um, but anyway, so uh, the uh, one, two, three, four, ten. So there are ten people that I want to introduce you to. Um, and in addition to just sort of knowing these people, because we should know the people when we're going to talk about terrible things that happen to them. Um, I also have a really good point to make with this that also adds to how chilling this story is. Uh, so the first person is uh, Igor Dyatlov. And these are all very Russian names. So enjoy my attempts. Um he is sort of like the de facto leader. He uh, built shortwave radios as a hobby and had taken them hiking before. Uh, he didn't bring one on this one, which is a big womp womp or like a what if of history. What if he had done it? Um, I would also like to point out that these shortwave radios are like 100 pounds. So just think about that as a hobby. I'm going to build a fucking radio that's 100 pounds and take a hiking with me. Um, Sounds really convenient. Yeah. My hobbies are like, I'm going to watch an entire season of a TV show on Netflix and knit a pair of socks. Um, so that makes me feel feelings about myself. Um, but yeah, so Dyatlov was known for being really calm under pressure. Uh, there's this one story that he was, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but he's hiking with a group. And they see these wild horses. They're stampeding. And while, first of all, horses terrify me. Second of all, horses are fucking huge. Third, have you ever seen a feral cat? <laughs> well, wild horses are not majestic things you can go up and pet. Wild horses are like feral cats that are aggressive. Like, they will run up and bite you. I used to work at a mine, and we, one summer, we were really far out of town, and there were wild horses in the area, and also, they're fucking gross. They're covered in bugs and ticks, and they're mean. They're the fucking worst. But anyway, we were in this, like, van, and if there were, like, Except wild for horses ditches. on the road... What? Except for ditches. Oh, no, I'm talking about wild horses, not feral cats. No, feral she, cats. She's a feral... Feral cats are, like, cuddly and adorable 
compared she, to wild horses. She's a wild horse. What are you talking about? No. So we're in this van. We're going to this mine. And the wild horses would be on the road. And we'd like, toot, toot, get out of the way. And they wouldn't. And so we'd just, like, drive, like, really slow. And they'd, like, move. And then they'd, like, kind of, like, headbutt the van a little bit. Like, fuck you. I can't believe you made me move. And I was like, fucking rude horse. <laughs> like, anyway. So basically, wild horses are the goddamn worst. And I wish they would all die. And I'm not going to take that back if you're a horse lover. Uh, ever ever they would bite you they want to bite you and the only reason wild horses are alive in the west is because the blm feeds them they would die out otherwise and they're stupid like they're dumb they're dumb animals <sighs> i have deep feelings about this i did not mean to unlock it Do you, i'm not i wasn't prepared for a therapy session today i wasn't either i really hate horses um okay <laughs> well anyway listen igor Dyatlov. He's hiking with a group of people. Apparently, Siberia also has wild horses. God help them. And there's a group of them running. And he's like, all right, everybody. All right, ladies, let's get in formation. Uh, no, he's like, get in a circle with your backs faced out. And what happens is that instead of stampeding them to death or biting them like the horses wanted in their heart, they, like, parted around them. Quote, quoth astonishing legends like a rock in a river interesting mm -hmm. so he just like told the seas to part and they parted i mean again this could be apocryphal but if it is or if it isn't either way he's like the guy that you're like i'll follow you into battle you're calm you're chill and you clearly you're... know how to deal with wild bitey horses exactly um You'll notice his name is Dyatlov, and I've called this the Dyatlov Pass uh, incident. The pass is not named Dyatlov at the time, obviously. It's named after him now. So you can imagine that something bad happens. So that's one guy. Um, the next guy is Yuri Duroshenko, who is 21. Um... He and uh, Dyatlov are both radio engineering students, so that's their major. Um, one of the things about him, on a camping trip, he chased a bear away. <laughs> oh, these hardy Russian boys. I know, right? I once saw a banana slug when I was camping, and that was weird because it's bright yellow and it's big. And Did it you slow. chase it off? <laughs> I took a picture of it, and then I was like, you can hang out in my bear box. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> what these guys would consider adventurous and what we would consider adventurous is quite different. Uh, this is not Emily and Jennifer go out in the woods. Uh, this is, this is hardier stock. I would chase off a bear for you, Emily. Oh, uh -huh, Jennifer, I would chase off a bear for you, too. But I hope it never comes to that. Or cuddle with a bear. Whichever thing I had to do. Yeah, fair. Same. So, uh, so Yuri chased off a bear. Yuri chased off a bear. Next, we do have some women involved. We have two women. Uh, Ludmila Dumanila. She's also 21. She is a construction industry economics. Whatever the fuck that means. She's like a list of words I don't understand. Um, uh, apparently... 
She had been accidentally shot in the leg on a hiking trip. Uh, and they had to carry her out, and she was, like, cracking jokes. Ha, <laughs> uh, Which God is damn it, horrifying. these hardy Russian women. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Um, they, the other woman is Zina Komogorova. She's 22. Uh, another radio engineering student. She kept a really copious notes for the group diary. Again, this seems to suggest that they were doing this for the actual certification because one of the things that they did was take a shit ton of notes. They had like a group diary and then they also had tons of photos. And some of it is kind of obnoxious, early 20s, selfie, ha 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 stuff. Um, But other stuff is sort of documenting that they did this trip. So that does seem to suggest that maybe it was not practice. I I don't really know. So if anybody wants to chime in and and clarify that for me, I would not be upset. Um, So she did a lot of that stuff. Uh, Apparently, she was also kind of a babe. Um, Probably also a badass. I mean, definitely also a badass. Uh, Next, we have another Yuri. So I guess this is like the... Russian version of Stan or Bob, whatever name was popular in 1950s U.S. Oh, yeah, John. Um, This is Yuri Kurvanashenko. He's 23. He was a big joker. Uh, He was a construction and hydraulics major. Again, the past is weird. How is construction and hydraulics a major? But whatever. Um, He had a mandolin with him that they all really liked because, again, you don't have TV or anything. Um, So, there you go. Um, They later left the mandolin at, like, kind of an early stash to kind of leave some weight behind. So, that's a thing that's kind of sad. Um, There was a guy called Rustic Slobodem. Uh, I think they called him Roost or some nickname. He was kind of a rich kid, but, uh, he had, basically he was like, everybody knows that he's a rich guy. And so he kind of had to like prove that he could hack it and he did. And like everybody accepted him. Um, I guess he was a little bit, uh, had like already gotten a degree or something. Um, so yeah, maybe he was tagging along at the end of his schooling. Uh, there's also Alexander Kolovatev. He's 24. This is a really big guy. He studied nuclear something or other. Um, interestingly, he kept his journal to himself and the rest of them didn't. So kind of more of a quiet, private guy. Um, and then I know if, if you feel like you're getting overwhelmed in names, um, we're almost done. Uh, we have Nikolai uh, Tibobrino, who is uh, industrial civil construction. He was also a little bit older, 25, very well read, very funny. And then um, there's like a guy who joined their expedition late. He's 37 or 38. Uh, his name is uh, Alexander or Sasha Zurich. Toivov, um, he might have gone by Simon, which is spelled like semen, lol. Um, yeah, I have his name down as Simon. Okay, does this come, does he come into some of your, 
I maybe we should have said this at the top that we are doing this together, but what I'm doing is sort of outlining what actually happened and then you're taking over with some theories. Does he come in with some of your theories? He does. Um, it's actually going to be a grouping, uh, Simon, Alexander, and Yuri. Um, but Simon okay. is interesting because he's the only one that's older in the group. Yeah, I had that he was 37 or 38. He was supposed to go out with a different group. And um, so what they had to do, they had to travel really far before they got to like the desolate part. And so he kind of joined in at that last little bit right before they went to the desolate part. So um, yeah, he, he wasn't there for the whole thing the initial thing um he was apparently a world war ii combat engineer veteran which is a position that had a 20 to 30 percent survival rate um it seemed like he didn't fit in at first and then he really did and he became integrated which anyway maybe that will play in and then the other person that you're saying this is a little group um Yuri Yudin, 22. And so what happened with Yuri, he um, was, uh, he had like sciatica and he had some knee problems. So he actually turned back a little early, which made him, spoiler alert, the only survivor, um, which is possibly an interesting thing that it sounds like you will touch on later. Maybe. Maybe. So one of, like I said, I mean, if we're talking about people who die, and spoiler alert, they all die in frightening ways, um, we should know these people and honor them. But also, like, I think especially with, like, uh, you know, Igor, who did the thing with the horses, allegedly, and Yuri Doroshenko, who chased a bear away, and... um, Ludmila, who was shot, uh, like, these people are really, really strong, and, um, I know in our, like, Lost in the Woods episode, um, we talked a lot about how if you don't know a lot about the woods or you don't know a lot about navigation, it's so frighteningly easy to get lost, um, but these people are very, very experienced, um, they would know what they're doing, they would not be, like, wandering in circles, they had hiked together before. Um, you know, they they were not interested in taking unnecessary risks or showing off for each other. This was, like, the idea of testing your skills and, you know, like... And when we say skills, I mean, I'm talking about, like, hiking and carrying your pack and cooking your meals. But also, things that we don't really think about too much, if you like to hike, you're not necessarily thinking about navigation and compasses and building a tent but that is like what they were doing as well so the idea of them getting lost or getting panicked is is really out of character and kind of inexplicable um and worth highlighting for sure yeah if you i mean there there are some books out there and there's some pretty detailed websites the first thing every single one of them will mention is how incredibly experienced all of these people are. Yeah, I mean, I don't, 
I don't want to make analogies this that feel really flippant, and this does, but it feels like advanced military training. Like somebody who's had advanced military training in this specific kind of being dropped in the middle of nowhere and surviving. Like that's what they're trained in. So it it's not like you or I doing this. It it really is like this is this is what they were specialized in in a lot of ways. Um so yep, this was um I mean, I've done a lot of camping and everything, but I don't even imagine the kind of skill sets that you would need to be able, keep in mind, edge of Siberia, out in the mountains, like to survive that type of climate, to know that terrain that well, to be able to correct yourself if you get lost, um, well, to, to be able to adjust to any potential like environmental, natural situation that yeah. could happen out there it's incredible well this is also like the ussr in 1959 so we're not talking about like north face jackets and waterproof anything i mean we're talking about like wool socks and like skis that you have to like belt on like literally tie onto your feet and like tents that are canvas and you know probably not even that many cars you know like these are not like, oh, I have a sleeping bag right now that my dad gave me for Christmas that's rated to, like, negative 20. I'm never going to take that camping that, like, they don't even have sleeping bags. And if they do, <laughs> they're like, um, yes, uh, yeah, my, uh, grandmother has make it for me. Like, uh, so yeah, in addition to all of that, like, there's not fancy waterproofing, there's not acrylic anything, there's not, you know, tested clothing, it's not how it works. Um, and it's cold. So they set out from their university um, on January 27th, 1959. So it's fucking freezing already. I feel cold just thinking about January 27th. Um, and where they're going to is called Otorten Mountain, um, and it's in the northern Urals. They leave from Ekaterinburg, which if you like risk, like me, which I'm very good, I'm I'm excellent at risk, and I'm not going to tell you my strategy. No humble brag. Um, I'm not. This is just straight up brag. Just straight up, um, 100% pure Emily <laughs> ego coming to your ears at this moment. In high school, uh, my group of friends, the guys got in this thing of playing games, and they were big, like, role players and D&Ders, which wasn't my jam but whatever and then they're like oh we're gonna play risk and i was like oh i like risk i want to get in on this and like all right and like after a couple games they started calling me hitler because i could so effectively take over the world and kill everybody and i was like i'm not offended like i'm not gonna stop because you're calling me that and then they're like oh my gosh we're not gonna play risk anymore um so yeah i'm good at risk and i love it to the point that I was like, Ekaterinburg, Katerinburg is on the map. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's where they leave from. They're going 300 miles by train, 50 miles by bus, 45 miles by truck, which, fuck me, already, I'm like, this is an adventure, I'm done. And there's a partridge um, in a pear tree somewhere. I know, that's what it feels like, right? And so that's before... Like, none of this counts as their, like, camping trip. 
Um, they stay at a camp with some woodcutters. It's all jolly. Ha ha. And then they start off. And I will say they start off from, quote, an abandoned archaeological site. There are pictures of a lot of this stuff, too, by the way. There's so many pictures. Um, the podcast that I mentioned earlier, Astonishing Legends, if you go to that website, they have a direct link to a site that has all the photos that have that we that exists as far as we know from this and you can just like i went there and i was like oh my god this is insane and i got chills and i started like clicking through them and then i like got bored because there's hundreds of photos and like some of them are really cute and some of them are like okay that's just the back of someone hiking like there's so many photos um it's insane uh but yeah you can see photos of these this group um with the woodcutters, you can see photos of them hiking. There are photos of them, like, clearly, like, joking around in the snow and being silly. Um, just and people living their mind, lives. Yeah, just pe- I mean, just being, like, silly and, like, oh, I have to document this. Here, pick up a branch to show that you're going to build a fire. Ha, ha, ha. Like, exactly how you would do. Um but yeah, leaving from an abandoned archaeological site feels like some poltergeist shit to me. Uh, to <laughs> be stayed, fair, though... They stayed in the equivalent of a haunted hotel. Yeah, they did. Um, and I said that uh, Yuri Yudin leaves early, and this is where he leaves, is on... Um, I saw the 27th and the 28th, but basically from the archaeological site, he's like... I really want to go, but, like, I am not going to make it. I'm going to slow you down. I need to, I need to peace out. So, he does. Um, and then, uh, they continue on. Um, it, ten days after that initial leaving, so January 27th plus ten. January 7th? Um, they are setting up camp on the side of a mountain in, uh, the Otorta Mountains, so they've sort of made this spot. Um, it's not exactly where they want to be. The original plan is to make it over a pass, and this pass is the pass that's now known as Dyatlov. Um, and they're camping a little bit before that, um, which is sort of behind schedule, but to be expected with a big trip. Um... They're a little off course, but not by much. Um, they are, they do set up a camp that's on the lee side, which is the less windy side of the mountain. And they are literally on the side of the mountain. Is this, a, um, this is at Kolat Sayakal? Yeah. That, yeah, okay. The last, the last camp spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was so, within, like, February 1st. Yes. Okay. I'm with Did you. I say I'm it? there. The seventh? No, that's fine. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so they are above the tree line. They're on the side of a mountain. Um, on a slope. On a slope. Theoretically, it's because, you know, they're out of the wind. Um, it's possible that uh, this podcast that I keep referring to again speculates that maybe setting up on the side of a mountain is something that's going to help their certification. 
it's possible also that they just kind of drift off course a little bit and we're like, whatever, this is fine. Um, it's not necessarily a weird spot to set up camp, but it's also not necessarily a spot that makes sense immediately. Um, like, I feel like if the trip had ended fine, nobody would be discussing about why they set up camp there. Um, but that's where they did. Spoiler alert. Um, it doesn't end fine. Spoiler alert for, yeah, it does not end well at all. So, February 12th is when they should have returned and telegraphed Yuri, um, the guy that left. And when Yuri left, they were already three days behind. So, again, it's not a super big deal that they don't telegraph right away. Um, however, after a while, they're like, this is bad. We should have heard from them. They should be back. Something's wrong. So, by February 20th, they're like, yikes, we need to go looking for them. Um, students and teachers from their school volunteer to go look for them and then later the military gets involved as well um i've seen anywhere between i this is another one of those things where i see different timelines of how long people were searching or how behind they were i've seen anywhere from six to ten um so somewhere around there. But by February 26, what happens is the searchers find the tent. And you might notice that I said they find the tent. Um, so this is what they find. The tent is, again, about a mile above the tree line. It's camped on the side of the mountain. Um, it's snowed a little bit, and the snow has partially collapsed this, collapsed this tent. Um, the guy who found it was actually a friend of the original group from school and inside the tent it's orderly so and again I think this is kind of a slightly larger tent than what we're thinking of but it's a little hard to tell from the photos um, they so what they did they took this their skis off to make a little platform um, they've sort of emptied their packs to make a floor it the boots are all lined up um, and Yuri Dyatlov, or I'm sorry, Igor Dyatlov was known for, if you were on an expedition with him, every night he would make people take off their shoes and socks and wash their feet. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, and that sounds really weird, but it's, um, you can get trench foot or frostbite, and um, if it's cold, it doesn't even have to be that cold, it's really easy for your feet to have problems like that, and laced up boots and so doing that would be a way of checking that and washing your feet would probably um like get the blood flowing in them um and you see this a lot and like uh if you've ever seen band of brothers there's a bit where they're like take your socks off and hang them around your neck and get them dried out and then like rotate your socks around because if your feet are wet all the time you'll get trench foot which will like literally just dissolve your foot but which can really happen. Gross. There's pictures it's, of it on the internet. It's so bad. Um, so there's that. Or if it's really cold, you could be, like, losing circulation and getting, like, hypothermia or something and not even know. So it, it makes sense um, that that was happening. Uh, there was a stove that wasn't assembled yet. And again, it's 1959. So a stove 
is not like my adorable little camp stove with a little tiny propane thing and you click it in and it's fine. It was like this big metal contraption that's very difficult to assemble. Um, they had competitions and the fastest time was like an hour. So the fact that this is in shambles isn't as a big deal. Um, they find an ice axe sticking out of the snow. Um, they find food out. Um, it looks very much like people are going to come back any minute. Um, uh, to quote, there was like an open flask of hot chocolate. Uh, to quote the book um, Dead Mountain, which I mentioned a couple times, quote, Cloth, there was a cloth napkin bearing neat slices of ham. The entire arrangement gives the distinct impression of someone having tidied very recently. And if not for the collapsed tarpaulin, one might expect a lively band of campers to return at any moment, kindling bundle, bundled in their arms. Um, but there oh, are no that people. That just makes me sad. It's really sad. Um, you can kind of picture them all, like, in the tent, like, getting things set up and washing their feet and joking around. Like, you can feel the warmth of what that tent was like. They're all tired from hiking all day. and But they're doing it they're, together. Yeah, and they're friends. And One of them yelled at the other one, but they're over it. And that's why yeah. the flask of hot chocolate is sitting out. They're going to eat some ham. It's going to be great. Um but there are two things that are also quite weird. One is that it appears... I see it listed in a couple different ways. There's a flashlight that has been left in the on position and the batteries have burned out. Yes. Some sources just say that. Um, some sources say that the flashlight is on top of the tent. So like kind of doing like a porch light situation. Um, which makes more sense. Why would you know a flashlight was set out? But it, it could be either way. I, I don't know for sure. I just want to note that I've seen that discrepancy. So I will comment on this. Most of the resources that I looked at coming to theory, like regarding theories, the flashlight is on top of the tent. Okay. And that's important. That's... That's what made the most sense to me because of theories and because of, yeah. So so there's a flashlight that's been set on top of the tent. It was on. It's still in the on position, but the batteries have burnt out. So if you've ever had a flashlight, you know you don't leave it on because the batteries will burnt out. Um, so that's weird. The other thing that's very, very weird, and if you know anything about this story already, this is probably what you know, in the back of the tent, um, there is... And I saw something that said that the tent is about 80 square feet, which sounds way too big, but I don't know. Um, the tent is slashed, like, cut up from the inside. Like, someone's at the back of the tent, and they've got a knife, and they cut their way out instead of going out the door. There are two sets of tracks... Uh, leading from that slash, but they disappear about 500 feet away. And did your sources note anything about the tracks? Um, just that there were two sets and that they 
are leading away from the tent, um, but they fade out pretty, like, 500 feet after that. Okay, good to know, because those tracks are going to be important in the future. Yeah. Is there anything else that you feel like I left out about the tent? Um, no, that, well, so, the one thing I will mention that will be important when I talk to you guys about theory is that, so it did snow a little bit, but what's important to remember is that there's snow on top of the tent that's collapsed, and the flashlight is on top of the snow, and there's the additional snowfall. Mm. That is good to know. I didn't see that. Or I don't have a note of that, so that's important. Um, so that's what they find. And if you are not already creeped out, um, you should be. Because, one, someone has cut out of a tent and run out the back. And two, all of these people are don't have shoes on. In the snow while camping in the middle of nowhere, which is, I don't know what would happen that would make you leave somewhere in the woods without your shoes, but that's, like, there are many things about this that are very creepy, and the leaving without your shoes is what I keep coming back to. Um, so, the searchers continue, and about a mile away, near, um, the tree line, um, it's, I've seen it, a cedar tree. Um, yeah, cedar see, tree line. Uh, yeah, a cedar tree line. They see a, a knee sticking out of the snow. Uh, so they dig the snow, move the snow aside, and they find two men lying side by side. Um, they don't have any pants, coats, or shoes on. Uh, and I don't mean that, like, you know, the penis is out flopping around. Um, I, like, I think they have, like, their pajama pants situation they don't have outside pants um it's yuri and yuri so yuri duroshenko and yuri kavanashenko um yuri duroshenko has snow wedged between his toes his arms are folded under his head one of his legs is ripped apart um yuri kavanashenko is next to him he has socks on um he is lying on his back his eyes and have been pecked out, probably by animals. Um, underneath them are branches. So this is where you get some theories that they tried to climb up a tree, and this tree next to them has branches, bro like branches are broken off all the way up from like 9 to 15 feet. So if you think of a tree, it has branches probably, you know, depending on the tree, about four feet up to the top. Well, branches are broken up to like 15 feet. So the idea is that maybe they were breaking the branches off to build a little tent or to build a fire or they were climbing it. Somehow it collapsed. Somehow there are branches underneath their bodies. Interesting. Yeah. The next day, February 27th, they find two more bodies. Um, and one of the groups of people that um, 
I have not mentioned before, but probably will come up when you talk about theories, is that um, there are indigenous people who live in the area, and they're called the Mansi. Um, and they also joined in the search. So February 27th, two more bodies are found. It's Igor and Zina. Um, and they're found by an indigenous person uh, with a dog. And they do have dogs, like, trying to, like, smell and, you know, whatever. You know what dogs do. They sniff the things and then they go, that's where the things are. They bark so anyway. at neighbors. Felix right now is sleeping on his back with his paws, like, in little limp wrist situation with all his fluff on him. <laughs> so he's certainly a real formidable foe. Um, but no, um, you know, in TV, they're like, get the dogs to scent the stuff. So that happens. Um, so this is a few inches below the snow. They dig and they see an arm and then they see another arm and Igor is dressed more warmly. He has a sweater and a fur vest and pants but he doesn't have a hat, a glove, again, no shoes. He has mismatched socks. And if you remember, Igor is the very serious uh, leader, a little totalitarian. He's known for calmness. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would just have mismatched socks between you and I. Um, I don't know why I said between you and I. It's a secret. You know Igor never wears those mismatched socks. I know what you mean. Um, It would be scandalous if he ever did. It would be out of character. Um, his He has a watch. It's stopped at 531. Um, he looks like he's been in a struggle. Uh, one thing said he's in a defensive gesture, kind of like grabbing a tree. I don't really know what that means, but okay. Um, Zena has her arms twisted beside her. She's on her right side. Um, she has dried blood on her face. And she has a hat, a jacket, ski jacket, ski pants, socks, but no shoes, again. So she's a little bit more dressed. Um, There is one of the first two bodies, one of the Yuris. um, I can't remember which one it is. He had flesh from his own palm embedded in his teeth. Like he had bit or was chewing on his hand. Um... There is also one body that they find that when they're digging under the snow, there's like a little space around their face, which seems to suggest that they were buried under the snow before they died. And so like their breath melted a little spot. Um, But I'm not sure who that is. Um, So that's four of the nine so far. Um, the next bodies aren't found until March 5th. Um, they do have, like, probing poles, and they're looking, like, for avalanches. Dogs can't smell super deep under snow. Um, and in some places, um, the snow is, like, up to eight feet deep, so they're not gonna, dogs are not gonna smell that deep, apparently. Um, there they find, uh, Rustic. He's face down. His right arm is pulled to his chest. He's oriented towards the tent. Um, 
and all of them are like they're facing the tent um, as if they were like walking back. His leg is twisted beneath him. Oh, this is small hollow indicated snow melted around his mouth. So he was still like had some snow melting. He was breathing. Um, he has a hat, one shoe, jacket, pants. He is sort of halfway between Igor and Xena, so he's kind of close to the previous two, but further down in the snow. Um, all of them, according to the medical examiner, and all of the bodies are found, um, died of hypothermia except for Rustic. Uh, I've seen it described a couple times, or a couple different ways, blunt force trauma to the head, um, one said that it looks like he had fallen his down, fallen down and hit his head over and over again, like in all sides, like if he just fell down the stairs and didn't have arms and was like bouncing his head around. Um, another thing that I saw said it looked like a horrible, like, like a bad concussion. Um, uh, massive trauma, the note said like a 35 mile per hour car crash, but there's no, like, outward signs. Like, if you get in a bad car crash, you're probably going to have, like, cuts and bruises and bone fractures. They don't have that. They just have, like, internal trauma, which is weird. All right. Um, that's a good point to bring up because I want to point out a discrepancy. Oh, yes. Please do. So you have all but one dying from hyperthermia. Uh, Sorry, I take that back. I have six dying of hypothermia. Okay, good. Whew. <laughs> like, I have to reestablish something because... Sorry. I have theories. Yeah, my notes are a little... Yeah, so he's just the first one that they note. Not hypothermia. Um, so the last... I've done four, yeah. So the last four they find uh, in May, around the 4th and 5th, um, they were buried much deeper, under about 12 feet of snow. Um, and interestingly, what they find is that some of the people who were dead, and they found earlier, these people's clothes have been cut up and wrapped around them. Um, also in March, around 4th, they find a little cache of clothes under some cut trees, which is odd that then they would cut up other people's, like, pants and wrap them around. But they do. Um, so these four people are about 400 meters deeper into the woods, and they're in sort of a ravine. Um, this is Sasha, Nikolai, Lumelia, and Alexander, I think. Anyway, um... So two of them are embracing each other, like trying to keep warm. Um, I wrote one person, Kolovatov. Great. So I've been saying first names and now I'm saying last names. Thank you, Emily. Um, <laughs> his ankle is broken and he's w one of the ones that died of hypothermia. But the other three here, again, have this like insane amount of internal trauma. Um, Ludmilia has one foot wrapped in another person's garment um it's either a sweater or pants and she has her tongue and eyes missing and this is something that some articles really hype up and some don't they're in a ravine there's 
sounds like she's possibly in a stream, so it could be animals or just water. Um, this is also the first part of your body that's going to decay. Um, whether her tongue has been cut or torn out has never really been said. Um, but the other thing that is a little upsetting about it is that there was coagulated blood in her stomach, um, which seems to suggest that she was bleeding somewhere in her mouth and she swallowed it when she was still alive. So something that's important here is to understand the geological definition of a ravine. Yes. Um, it's a landform that is narrow. Uh, it's more narrow than a canyon. Uh, it's often the byproduct of what they call steam cutting erosion and they're larger in scale than a gully but definitely smaller than a valley so um think of like a narrow pass that might fit two people side by side through yeah it um i think whenever i hear the word ravine i think steep like it's yeah, it's it's worn away by water, so it's it's steep. It's going to get more narrow as you go down. Um, I haven't read too extensively about what this landscape was like, so I don't know if it's like a sudden drop or what. But any type of ravine will... would probably be a a pretty sudden drop because it's not dissimilar to a gorge. You know. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be like a gentle slope down. It's going to be like a, like you've cut this out. You know, we're thinking more V shape than U. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I just had a couple little points, and then I'm done with my bit. Um, one, um, there are some. There is some element of just it's 1959 so for example searchers it's possible that there were more tracks um the searchers weren't necessarily um very diligent in documenting that so they don't entirely know whose tracks were whose right if you're looking backwards um it's possible that there were more tracks and they got mixed up um another thing that was mentioned was that um, the campers were known to have chocolates with them and they couldn't find that. And that was really weird. And then the rescuers later admitted like, oh yeah, we took the chocolate. It was there. Um, so there is just some element of that of like, oh, people just didn't have good protocols established for this kind of work. Yep. Um, and you know, that happens. Um, another thing I, I mentioned, none of them had shoes and I just cannot the rip tent is a big iconic thing with this case but for me the bigger one is why would you ever leave your tent without shoes like it is it's so weird to me i just cannot wrap my mind around it um the other things that were found on the the bodies um some of them had matches one of them had a compass one of them had a camera um, and I believe it was one of the bodies that was found in the water because the film that was in that camera was, like, not developable. It was damaged. Um, there is a, one camera missing and one diary missing. Um, and this is also where we 
start setting up possibly some of your theories, which is, again, this is 1959, it's the USSR. It's theoretical that there's way more documentation or things going on, and it hasn't been released. Um, We know for sure that not everything about this has been released from the government, Um, but when we say a camera is missing and a diary is missing, I don't know if that, like, I, my general understanding is that there is a camera and a diary that is not accounted for. We don't know if it was found at the scene or if it was missing from that scene. So we're not sure where it disappeared. Um, One of the speculations that I saw was that the incident, whatever it was, that terrified these people so much that they cut out of their tent and ran without shoes um, happened on February 2nd. Um, There was a investigation into it, and I'm not going to get too far into it because I imagine it will start getting into the theories which you're doing. Um, And (laughs) the official verdict was that a compelling unknown force is what caused the death of them, which is ominous and creepy and means nothing. It's also the most secular way of saying act of God. Yeah, it's like the way of saying we don't know what this is, but uh, there we go. Um, Public access to the site was banned for three years, and the investigation was initially classified. Um, And I will leave you with one lingering, creepy, super fucking weird question which is why did they leave the tent? That is the most important question, which will help me talk to you guys about theories. Yep. Um, there are a thousand theories, and Jennifer is going to go through all of them, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to solve it for you next week. <laughs> I mean, we did... Oh, God, what was that episode? Oh, yeah, we did solve spontaneous human combustion, so. (laughs) So we're going to do a science on this and get it all cleared up for everybody. (laughs) I will have to say, I think we divided up tasks perfectly for this one because the theories part is definitely my world. Good. I'm really excited about that because whenever I started looking about theories, I got really overwhelmed and would be like okay but what happened so it did work really well for me so if all of you are curious um emily is definitely definitely the history background person (laughs) um and i definitely like living in the world of theory slash science it's true and also I can tell that it's perfect because one of my cats just walked up and sat on my lap and is purring, so. <laughs> all, all of all of our humors are aligned. It's full circle. You're not going to need to leech yourself tonight, Jennifer. Thank God, because I'm really tired and all I want to have to do is brush my teeth. All right. Well, good night. <laughs> on that note, I'm going to go brush my teeth. And we will leave you guys to think about teeth brushing and why someone would leave the tent in the middle of the shoes. Without their shoes in sub zero temperatures. Ugh, vomit.
Timeless Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. I was going to say one of my cats is hanging out with me, but as soon as I said that, he jumped down, so. Fuck him. So, um, you're drinking a beer. Yep, and actually. This is right the by longest the mic. Actually, I, ever. The what? I said the this longest. was the longest actually ever. Yeah, actually. I click. I opened a new beer and I did the right in the mic. You're welcome, Clint. <laughs> well, I am enjoying a vodka drink. And earlier, I made a joke about having the vodka drink, the whiskey drink, and could not remember the cider drink. He drinks the whiskey drink. He drinks the vodka drink. He drinks. Wait, we missed one. He drinks the whiskey drink. He drinks the vodka drink. He drinks. See, now we can remember the cider. What's the third one? Fourth one, because it's whiskey, vodka, cider. No, cider is the fourth one, I think. The something drink. All right, so this is, you know, for the world. Help us remember the very terrible 90s lyrics that are starting to fade from our memories. From Chumbawamba's Tub Thumping. We finally drank so much and hit our heads so much we cannot remember the lyrics to this okay we have always missed it he drinks a whiskey drink he drinks a vodka drink he drinks a lager drink which is a beer he drinks a cider drink wow i remember loving this song when i was like 10 or whatever and it's so clearly about just getting wasted yeah you know there's a lot of music that i grew up on that i realized wasn't very wholesome you know it's like, like really love your like peaches most... want to shake your tree <laughs> um i wish i could remember a sexually inappropriate song for oh weirdly when i was very little like maybe like seven uh guns and roses take me to the uh not take me to the jungle paradise city was really big um, and that was one that, like, me and all my siblings would sing, take me down to the very last city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. I guess it could be worse. It could be Welcome to the Jungle. Well, will you, will you please take me home? Yep, I will. Into a terrifying tale. Um, 